You are listening to Mind at Work. I'm your host, Rui Nunes. I sit down with executives and experts who share their stories and expertise around professional development. On this show, you'll hear practical advice on how to expand your career into one that you're both excited about and proud of. In this episode, I speak with Lauren Florco, an organizational development consultant with a focus on workplace stress. She specializes in talent management and for over a decade has worked for public, private, for-profit, and not-for-profit organizations, both at a local and global level. We spoke about how to have difficult conversations at work, how to identify why someone isn't performing well, and how to make meetings constructive. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Lauren, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I read your article recently around, I think it was dealing with complicated conversations around um, potentially underperforming people and how it's complicated at times, a lot more complicated than we might originally think when we have that conversation. And I know that for me, I've, you know, I've been there and working with colleagues that uh, I believe aren't pulling their weight right? And then I allow my emotions to take over and I jump to conclusions, even if they're unwarranted. I think that's part of human nature um, that we tend to do that. But what I understood or better understood, at least after reading your piece was that it's, it's really not that simple. Yeah. I think a big piece that comes out of that is, you know, there's two elements happening, something that's either happening with the person you're interacting with and then anything that's also happening within yourself. Right. And so trying to understand, okay, if people aren't meeting your expectations is really trying to understand what were your expectations? Were they aware of those expectations? And then figuring out, you know, how do you have a conversation to then get yourself to level those that the playing field and and move forward? And do you find that it's important to make sure that those expectations are clearly set out at the beginning? And how would one how would you communicate expectations in a way that maybe isn't abrasive? Yeah, so it depends on what your position is. If this is a peer versus this is a direct report, a lot easier with direct report because you can set out, you know, here's our business objectives. You can, the more clear you can be, the better. Like there's a huge amount of stress that comes out of people not having job clarity, even if it's just, you know, when they wanted something, how they wanted something done. And there's a fine balance between, you know, not micromanaging the but if there's something that's very specific in terms of quality that needs to come out or time timeliness that needs to come out, the more you communicate that, the better. And setting those up frequently, setting that up at the beginning of the year to kind of set, and then always communicating when those priorities shift is also important because sometimes priorities do shift, but we are not always great at then re-communicating, okay, that means now this is the lowest priority and this is now the highest. For me, if, if, you know, if I'm in that situation and, and I agree with you, I think that, you know, um, communicating to a direct report is a bit easier. There's a different emotional connection with a direct report versus maybe more competitive with a peer potentially. For me, I know that there are times where my emotions take over. I don't think I'm the only one where this happens, where you get into a meeting and you're having a conversation and maybe your priorities aren't aligned. And maybe they have obviously incentives in one area to, to approach something in a certain way, whereas I have incentives that are somewhat different. And trying to like bridge that gap isn't always really easy. And you kind of leave that meeting at times where you're just like, oh my God, what just happened? Like we didn't, we did not accomplish anything. <laughs> so knowing that, how can I take, like, if I were to go into that conversation next time, how can I mm-hmm. take a step back 
in order to better prepare myself to make sure that when we do have that dialogue, that we come out of that meeting knowing exactly what we need to do in a constructive manner. Yeah, I think in preparation for any sort of discussion, you have to understand, okay, what's your actual objective of having the conversation? Is it to move forward and figure out the better way to work together? Is it to clarify that you were actually upset by something? Is it to apologize because you got upset by something? But it's also about figuring out the more that you can be self-aware of what's going on for you, the better that you can actually have that conversation and build trust. So if it's something as simple as, you know, I typically like to hand in things a day before I've said I'm going to hand them in, but maybe the other person doesn't have that expectations for themselves. They like giving themselves that extra day to make sure that it's perfect, right? Then maybe they're a perfectionist and you're like a, you want to be an overachiever. So that will come into, you're not going to meet each other's expectations because you might give something that's 90%, but early, and they want to give something that's hundred percent and on time. And so trying to figure out what's at stake for you in terms of what your self image is, is an important conversation. And then from there, when you do have the conversation, it's better to come through the conversation in a sense of discovery and a sense of, okay, what's our actual objective to go forward, right? It needs to be future focused rather than past focused. If people have made mistakes in the past, typically people are aware that they've made a mistake. They don't need to be told that they've made a mistake. Same thing as if you fail, you are right. That's not going to, you know, coming into a conversation to prove that you are right isn't also going to be productive. I'm guilty of that at times where I go in and I already have like an idea in my mind and I'm yeah. honestly doing anything I can to prove that right. So how do we get past right. that? How do, like how, how would I need to work on? What's the objective? If the objective is just to get something done, you know, quicker or get something done more better quality, then saying, okay, this is how I would go about it. What is, what's your approach to go about this? And then coming at a more collaborative Uh, solution because if you come in already thinking you're right you're not even listening to what their potential suggestions are and those potential suggestions could be you know it could be that you guys both have good ideas and then you can come up with something even better right and let's say my self-awareness levels are modest at best right so i'm going in i probably have this you know i understand the term self-awareness i probably believe i had Mm -hmm. it but i might not have enough of it as i think I i think i should so i go into this conversation I probably have a tendency to approach it from wanting to be right versus wanting the right outcome. How should I open the conversation with my colleague? Yeah, I think one is even before opening the conversation is that when you are even setting up this discussion is already knowing your objective and letting the other person know the objective as well, because you don't want to catch people off guard as well. Once you're faced with defensiveness, then it can also trigger your own. So if you say, hey, I wanted to talk about the project that that we submitted last week and maybe figure out how we can do it more effectively going forward, that is going to help both people prepare for that discussion. And then when you go into actually opening that conversation is really just go in first allowing yourself that you can have more time to even just be able to delve into and fact find and have enough space that you can actually have a conversation rather than just the the drive-by conversations that happen so frequently where people are like, hey, that didn't work well. We need to figure that out. And then people, you know, if the emotional dumping is not going to be helpful. So yeah, so giving yourself time to have that conversation and say, hey, I don't feel comfortable with how that landed. So I wanted to work with you and figure out how do we go forward and figure out what we can change for next time. Right. And there was, there was especially one thing in... Um in that piece that, that I mentioned earlier that you wrote, 
that are that I really liked. And I believe you highlight three root causes why you're not achieving the desired outcome. And it's based off of skill, will, or hill. Can you elaborate on what those three are, what they mean, and provide some examples? Yeah, so I, this is a, a, a little handy tool that I like using with leaders to help them figure out and do that fact finding on what went wrong. And so a lot of times we just assume that if something went wrong, the person just was, they don't care about the work, they're not motivated, or they just don't have the will. But the thing with that is that most people actually chose to work for you for a reason or they generally they want a sense of achievement or a sense of contributing to the team so it's very unlikely that it's actually a will problem it's generally either a skill problem or a hill problem so a skill problem is really they don't have the understanding or the training to be able to actually solve the problem so you hear things like, oh, I just don't understand, or I'm trying, or I thought I was doing it correctly. Maybe they don't have the job clarity, or maybe they don't actually have the training or skills to actually get that done. Versus in a hill problem, this is um, where there's actually something blocking them from being able to get it done. So they might have all the skills, but they might not have the technology, or they're there's a bottleneck with somebody else or they don't have enough time it's just something maybe they have to do it manually and they just can't get it done in that time frame so a lot of times when it does become a will problem which is the thing that we're all assuming it is it can be just because they've been facing that skill or hill problem for so long and haven't had someone help them remove those or supply the help in that situation that they lose motivation or they disengage right like if you're constantly being told to do something in a really short time limit, or no one's ever giving you development tips or coaching, you're going to gradually become more and more disengaged. And so what may appear like someone doesn't care about their job might actually be an underlying issue in terms of that skill or, or hill. So that's why opening up that conversation aligned for time for that conversation to really understand what's going on is so important to then figure out, okay, how do we move forward? And how would I be able to identify what these are? Are there some specific questions that I should include in, in the sessions that I have? And should these be reserved for one-on-ones or can they be asked in any setting? Yeah, you could do this in a team um, setting, but it, you would then have to look, really allow for so much more time because you have to hear everyone's um, small pieces. And then you also have to probably have someone in the room who is good at facilitating that conversation because you're dealing with so many more emotions or egos in the room that you might have to have someone kind of placate people or play that dynamic. So usually one-on-one's a bit easier to work with. And in terms of questions, open-ended questions are the best. So kind of what were the steps that you took? Where did you think things could be improved? I would say really avoid why questions because why, like, why did you do this? generally will activate people that like an accusation or a judgment. So avoiding why is important. So kind of like, how did you go about doing this? And what did you need from me? Or where did you experience issues? And just being really open to let the person take control of the situation. So then they feel like they can then be open. You build rapport and trust in that way. It's not the easiest conversation, right? It's not going to be a five minute conversation, but it could be 20, 30 minutes. So let's say I've already done all these things, right? So I've put in the effort. I was like, Lauren, I read your article. I know it. I listened to this podcast episode. Got it. Like, I know all the questions I need to ask. I understand all the things. I understand fact-finding. I get it. Like, I've done it. But it still doesn't improve. Things still don't get better. 
there's no is it like whose responsibility then does that become is it still the responsibility of the person who is potentially more self-aware you know whether that is or isn't the case but or is it the responsibility of the uh, person, sort of the culprit, so to speak, for lack of a better word? When it's a peer situation, this would be a much more difficult to kind of hold that accountability. You might need to elevate the conversation to a boss that can then add more power to the situation to then hold people accountable. But if you are the leader in the situation, you can go to a more formal documentation of like a performance improvement plan. And this would be like at the extreme, right? You've done everything you can, you've had multiple conversations and a performance improvement plan would really be, you draft very tangibly and outline, these are my performance expectations I'm needing of you. This is how I will support you to get there, but this is the timeline that you need to get there. And then if you don't, then you have something documented, then you can then, you know, let go of the person. But generally that is at the very extreme end because you know, generally if you're doing coaching that's frequent and it's focused and you're thinking in kind of the future mindset rather than punishing for past, um, you'll, you'll generally get pretty good performance improvements, sometimes relatively quickly, but quickly, more quickly than you think. And what are some of those tips that you, that you have? You know, let's say I am coaching somebody and I want to make sure that I'm setting them, setting them up for success that's mutually beneficial. So yeah, those three things to kind of remember is that frequent focus in future. So thinking in terms of, okay, it's not just a innate ability of a person. It's, you know, something that they've applied themselves for. You want to make sure that they're thinking in that kind of growth mindset. It's like, there is something you can overcome. You applied yourself. I know you can get better at this moving forward. And you want to be really specific and tangible and in the moment. You're not waiting until a performance review at the end of the year. You're, you're saying, hey, that was a great meeting or hey, this was a, um, you're doing a good job right now. I think one way that's really helpful for people if they are coaching is think about sports coaches because they have such good examples, right? Like sports coaches not going to wait until the end of the season to give feedback. They're not even waiting to the end of the game. They're giving constant tidbits and reinforcement. And they're also thinking about the whole team in terms of not everyone can be scoring goals, right? You have some people that you need to be doing assists. You have some people that are doing defense and it's coming together as a team and figuring out, okay, what do I need from different people at different times? And then they're also accommodating if people are having an off day, then you change the lineups on the fly. You figure out, okay, okay, this person takes the lead this time, or you work with this person this time. And going with the kind of sports analogy I always find is, is super helpful. Are you allowing for practice time? Are you allowing for timeouts or huddles? If you need to like stop, we need to course correct. I try to incorporate that myself in how at least I think about setting up teams and chemistry and, and chemistry in general for at least in my opinion uh, outweighs skill, right? At least those those like functional skills because you do need people that collaborate really well together. And I think as long as they're working as a unit, then they can ultimately they can achieve the ultimate goal. Lauren, where could people find you? So my company is called Triple Threat Consulting. I'm based in Vancouver, BC, and you can. Uh, on my website, you can find kind of more resources and more writings about a lot of this. I also have a blog on Psychology Today where you can find more readings. Triple Threat CSR on Twitter, and then just my name, Lauren Florco, on LinkedIn. Perfect. Lauren, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find all of the references made in the episode in the show notes. If you're a fan of the show and enjoyed the episode, don't forget to like and share if you're listening on social media. 
or subscribe if you're on YouTube or your preferred podcast platform. I love hearing feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any suggestions for the show or questions. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter under the handle I am Rui News. Until next time, keep growing.